1: And away we go, episode 139 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, September 7th, 2021, as we are in the midst of Rosh Hashanah. I say Happy New Year to all of my Jewish brothers and sisters out there. Now, I am not Jewish. I am Catholic. I actually went to Catholic school through high school. As we like to say, eight years of nuns, four years of priests. 12 years of therapy, and here I am. Uh, But anyway, good to be with you, however, you are with us. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, so many ways that you can consume the Al Galdi Podcast. This podcast is available on every major podcast platform. If you ever have a problem with any platform, please let me know. There was an issue with Google Podcasts and this podcast on Friday. The episode ended up not showing up until Saturday. Uh, I don't know what happened, but I sent a few emails and eventually uh, the episode showed up on Google Podcasts. I have no idea if my emails did anything, but uh, they made me feel better, so they're sad. Uh, Well, speaking of feeling better, is Curtis Samuel feeling better? Well, he did actually increase his participation in practice for Monday's practice for the Washington football team. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. Uh, boy, a lot of religious overtones in this opening segment of the show. But yes, hallelujah. Curtis Samuel practiced to an increased extent on Monday. Uh, still, though, he was an overall limited participant. In Washington football team practice, but he, in this never ending ramp up from the groin injury, did more at Washington practice than he had done in months. A full report next segment, including the key things that were said about Samuel by both Rod Rivera and Samuel himself. Maybe, just maybe, things are going to turn out all right in terms of Samuel playing and playing well in Washington's regular season opener this Sunday against the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field. Now, of course, the Chargers have Justin Herbert as their starting quarterback. Ron on Monday, unsolicited, brought up Washington taking Chase Young and not Herbert with that number two pick in the 2020 NFL draft. And I don't know about you, but Ron, to me, sure sounded like he regrets not taking Herbert. Uh, I don't blame Ron. For feeling that way, I'm going to talk about this issue coming up. By the way, uh, we did not get a question at Ron's post practice press conference on Monday about Washington signing a kicker to the practice squad on Friday, uh, Eddie Pinheiro. Hopefully, we get that at some point this week. There are two things right now that I feel like we need to explore a lot more at these Ron Rivera post practice press conferences. A, what happened with Jimmy Moreland? Like, why was Moreland cut? And B, what up? at kicker with Washington having finally brought in some form of competition for Dustin Hopkins in Eddie Pinheiro. Uh, a wild and lengthy five-game series for the Nationals with the New York Mets at Nationals Park on Labor Day weekend ended on Monday afternoon via a wild and lengthy game. And uh, that's overcoming a 3-2 ninth inning deficit, two runs in the bottom of the ninth off Mets closer Edwin Diaz. A 4-3 walk-off win. What a crazy series this ended up being. I'm talking that later in the show. The Orioles lost on Labor Day afternoon, 3-2 to the Kansas City Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. But the O's got a surprisingly solid start from their latest pitcher summoned from AAA Norfolk. I'll talk about that and more good stuff from Orioles building blocks late in the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the podcast. At Yahoo.com. Email from Jim D writes, Jim, hope you're doing well. I gotta say, it was good hearing you talk about all of the local college football teams from the past weekend. I'm currently a student at UVA, and it was oh so sweet to be back in the stands and feel that energy. Can't wait for the NFL slash WFT regular season pods and of course the return of Galdi's rhyming keys. You know what they say the worse the rhyme, the better. The time. Well, thank you for that email, Jim. And yes, that is my mantra for the Rhyming Keys. The worse the rhyme, the better the time. The rhymes are never supposed to be good. Uh, rhyming Keys will be making their season debut on this Friday show, episode 142, what will be our first true football Friday on the Al Galdi podcast. We had a partial football Friday with this past Friday show, but The college football season was underway. The NFL regular season, of course, was not yet underway. This coming Friday, episode 142, the first true Football Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I am in the process of composing my rhymes. I'm like Jay-Z. I'm like Kanye. I'm like Drake. I have my process, okay? Don't mess with my process, all right? Hey, wait a minute. I'm like Kirk. Don't mess with my process. I'm a little bit more process-oriented. Yes, hello, Kirk. Thank you. But this is a great time of year. Football is here. The weather in the DMV has been great lately. There is a cool in the air as fall is coming. And actually, fall is a key time for your lawn. Yeah, if you want a good-looking lawn, and who doesn't, uh, that process actually begins in the fall. And there's a great deal going on right now from Weedman to get your lawn looking as you want it to look. Weedman is offering something really special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's 30% off the usual price for those services. You see, Weedman will care for your lawn so you don't have to. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Enjoy your weekends, enjoy your free time, and let Weedman take care of your lawn. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says that it's going to do. I know all of that sounds simple and obvious, but that stuff isn't nearly as common as it should be. Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Weedman does not cut corners. The best weed controls, state-certified seed. The secret sauce for Weedman is the fertilizer. All of Weedman's organic-based fertilizer applications feature 65% 65% super slow-release nitrogen that feeds your roots slowly and effectively. You see, Weedman has a mastery of the science behind a great lawn. And like I said, there's something really special being offered right now to listeners of this podcast, the Al Galdi podcast. A fall tune-up at a great price. An aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's 30% off the usual price for those services. This price is a steal. It applies to lawns of up to 6,000 square feet. So here's what you do. Call 571-340-3400. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get that special deal. Again, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. 30% discount off the usual price for those services. That phone number again, 571 571- And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get the special deal. I want you to get that deal. Here's that phone number one more time, 571-340-3400. You can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. All right. So the Washington football team has a game this weekend, an actual meaningful regular season game home to the Los Angeles Chargers Sunday afternoon at one Washington, by the way, on Monday, signed a running back, signed Jonathan Williams to the practice squad. He had been among those released in the cut down to 53 last Tuesday. In case you missed it, Peyton Barber now is gone from Washington. The Las Vegas Raiders on Saturday signed Barber from Washington's practice squad to the active roster. So Jonathan Williams will essentially serve as a fourth running back for Washington, even though Williams is on the practice squad. You, of course, have Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Jarrett Patterson on Washington's 53-man roster. Look, Ron Rivera clearly feels that Washington this coming season can equal or even improve on Barber's very good short yardage work from last season. We shall see if Don Ron Is proven right on that. Uh, But if you're doing things correctly, you should be able to at least equal what Peyton Barber did as a short yardage back for you last season. Well, Washington practiced on Monday, which was supposed to be the day on which Curtis Samuel finally, mercifully participated in practice to an extent beyond what he had been doing for weeks, working on a side field. Nobody has ever owned a side field at the Washington team facility, quite like Curtis Samuel has owned a side field these last few weeks. Washington, of course, in March signed Samuel to a three-year $34.5 million deal with $21.5 million fully guaranteed at signing in free agency. He had not fully practiced this summer due to a groin injury that had kept him from practicing During the mandatory minicamp all the way back in June, uh, Samuel, as you may remember, began training camp on the active, physically unable to perform list. Ron Rivera had been downplaying the Samuel groin injury all along, but we still weren't seeing Samuel fully practice. Well, Ron at his post-practice press conference last Thursday said that we should expect to see Samuel, quote, work back in on Monday with the team, end and, quote, Uh, Ron, last Thursday, also expressed optimism regarding Samuel playing against the Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. Well, the good news is that Curtis Samuel was more of an active participant in Washington's practice on Monday. The bad news, if you want to call it bad news, is that Samuel still was not a full participant in practice. But that part may not matter. More on that in just a bit. But here was Ron at his post-practice press conference on Monday on Curtis Samuel. How was Curtis
2: today? I thought Curtis looked good, Moved around well. You know, we, uh, we had a limited amount of plays for him uh, to get him out there, specifically to see where he is. You know, got a little bit more time, so we didn't want to go out and overwork him and, you know, risk uh, him tightening up or anything like that. But we thought the things that we asked him to do, he looked pretty good.
1: Okay. What progression would Rod like to see from Samuel this week?
2: Just, you know, continue to work and, and, you know, after every day of work, just he's feeling good the next day. You know, that's probably the biggest indicator for us is that he comes out and says, hey, had a good day. How'd you feel? Felt good this morning. So let's roll.
1: Yeah, the day after, just as important as the day of Washington does not practice on Tuesday. We'll be back to practicing on Wednesday. Now, Samuel himself spoke on Monday via post-practice press conference. Here's what Samuel had to say about his uh, lengthy ramp up um it's definitely been a tough road you know I wish I was out there from the start of camp you know but a little setback Um, so my main goal was just to focus on rehabbing just off to the side just trying to get better each and every day you know um my mindset
0: my goal is when I'm out there I want to stay out there I don't want to come back and you know have things lingering through the season it's a long season added an extra game um so you know I'm just on the side just working um
1: trying to get better each and every day and come back um right and ready for the team All right, and Samuel later in his press conference got asked the following, how close to 100% are you? (laughs) I mean, it's game week. I ain't about to give out no tips, but (laughs) I'm feeling good. All right, I don't blame Samuel for not answering that question. Get ready for another short answer. Uh, Samuel got asked whether he expects to play Sunday against the Chargers. Maybe, who knows? (laughs) I don't know. We're going to see Uh, Yes. Yes, we are going to see. Uh, So like I said, Washington will not practice on Tuesday, but will practice on Wednesday and Thursday. This week's schedule is essentially a game week schedule. The only difference is that there was a practice on Monday. So Wednesday and Thursday are the truly telling days. Wednesday and Thursday also are days on which we'll get official injury reports uh, all along during OTA practices, mini camp practices, training camp practices, preseason practices. We have not been getting official injury reports, who is practicing and to what extent and for what reasons. Uh, All of that has been based on what we've been told by Ron and what has been seen by media members at practice. There have been no official designations of, you know, full participant in practice, limited participant in practice, did not practice. That changes starting on Wednesday. Now, regarding practice status, this exchange during Ron's post-practice press conference on Monday may well have been the most telling exchange of them all. We'll start with the question, which comes from Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post.
3: Um, with Curtis, does he need a full practice for you to feel comfortable? For no, him to play he, at
2: he all? doesn't. But, you know, we just need to watch him when he practices. That's probably the most important thing, Nikki, is we got to see it. And, and, you know, from what we saw early on from the early reps he got, we felt pretty good about. But, again, we got to see how he is tomorrow morning.
3: Aside from, you know, just limited work, are you able to say what he was able to do in practice today since we, had, we could only see the first ten minutes?
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we, we got to see him, you know, take a limited number of, 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 uh, of plays. Um, but they're plays that, you know, obviously that, that, that have him in mind. Um, you know, and we wanted to make sure and we could see the things that we needed to see. You know, watch him catch the ball, watch him burst and turn it upfield, um, watch him catch the ball through traffic, uh, watch him go deep. I mean, we got to see all that today. So, um, that's right. I forgot you guys didn't get to see that part of it because uh, that was game planning stuff. But we, we saw those things today. And, and hopefully, um, come Wednesday when we practice again, we'll get an opportunity to see him take another step.
1: Yeah, so it really doesn't matter to what extent Curtis Samuel is practicing. It just matters that he is practicing, he is out there, and he's not doing less than what he was doing the prior practice. As long as he on Wednesday and Thursday does at least the same that he did on Monday, then I think Washington will be in good shape in terms of Samuel being able to play against the Chargers on Sunday. What is Ron looking for from Samuel regarding whether Samuel will be good to go for Sunday against the Chargers?
2: Well, it's more about conditioning. I mean, he, he's going to cut and run the way he does. Uh, but can he sustain it? And if he can, for, for, for how long can he sustain it? You know, are you going to get 20, 25 really good plays out of him? Um, you know, are you going to get what, what would amount to, to, to half the snaps? I mean, that that's the question that you, you're trying to gauge as you watch him in practice.
1: Now, of course, it's one thing for Samuel to be able to play against the Chargers on Sunday. It's another thing for Samuel to be able to be effective against the Chargers on Sunday. How realistic is it that Samuel, who still hasn't fully practiced in months, would be able to play a good amount and play well against the Chargers?
2: Well, it won't be difficult to get snaps in the game. It's just, you know, we got to make sure they're good snaps. You know, when we rotate them in, you know, we can't rotate him, you know, six, seven plays in a row and expect that, that fifth, sixth, seventh play to be top end. But, but when you do put him in, you, you expect it to be top end stuff. And, you know, realistically, you may see him two or three plays in a row and then come out and rotate through.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like a pitch count for Samuel against the Chargers on Sunday is very much a possibility. And clearly, you'd rather have Samuel at 100% on, say, 50% of the snaps Then Samuel at, say, 65% on 90% of the snaps. Like, when Samuel's out there, you want him to be able to be a full go because he is a weapon. You know, another thing to be thinking about with Curtis Samuel is this, the many roles that he can serve. In other words, Samuel's position flex.
2: Position flex.
1: Yes, Ron. Position flex. Curtis Samuel per Roto Wire. In the 2020 regular season, over 659 offensive snaps for the Carolina Panthers. Basically lined up everywhere. Uh, He lined up in the slot, lined up tight, lined up in the backfield, lined up outside. Uh, Samuel has been used a bunch as a ball carrier. In his NFL career, the Panthers ran the ball with Curtis Samuel. Remember, Samuel was a running back at Ohio State. Is it more difficult to evaluate whether Samuel is healthy enough to play on Sunday against the Chargers? Because of his versatility. More from Ron at his post-practice press conference on Monday.
2: It is because, um, you know, initially we, we'll do limited things with him um, just because he's got to build up and, and, you know, you can't put in 10, 12 specific plays for him um, and expect him to play, you know, 24 plays or, or something like that. So you just have to be careful and be smart about it. and That's what we're working towards.
1: Now, if Samuel is good to go against the Chargers on Sunday, the excitement will be there with what he can help to provide, explosive plays. A Washington offense that last season did like nothing in the way of the explosive play is poised to be so much better in that regard this coming season with Ryan Fitzpatrick as a starting quarterback, but also with someone like Curtis Samuel as a weapon. There are 32 teams in this thing we all love to follow called the National Football League. Washington per sharpfootballstats.com in the 2020 regular season was number 31 out of the 32 NFL teams in explosive passing play rate at 6.15%. Sharpfootballstats.com defines an explosive passing play as a passing play of at least 15 yards. Washington last regular season, again, number 31 out of 32 teams in the NFL, an explosive passing play rate. 40 explosive passing plays divided by 650 total passing plays. Samuel can help to fix this. He is a burner. Curtis Samuel at the 2017 NFL Scouting Combine ran a four three one forty. Ron Rivera on Monday on if explosive plays were the number one thing that Washington's offense was missing last season. I
3: think
2: it was one of the things that we were missing, you know, was, was, was the opportunity to, to have, you know, um, three or four guys on the field that could potentially go the distance. You know, we, we may have had two guys at a time, um, but now we have a potential to put three or four guys out on the field that have the ability to go, 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 go the distance every time they touch it. So this is pretty exciting as far as what we can be on, on, on offense. I mean, you know, that's why you play them to see exactly what you have, but I think the things that we did, we did in mind uh, with that ex- express intent, and that was to get faster, to put more playmakers that have the chance to go vertical. What does it do just to have the threat of that too, like to open up things? Well, it it, it, it it's going to create some, some opportunities for everybody else. You know, you, you line up with that speed that you know now they're, you know, if, if they if they want to take a chance to do certain things, well, we have we have an answer for that now.
1: Yes, you do. And that's why the Curtis Samuel health matters so much. That's why the state of Curtis Samuel's groin has been such a thing for weeks now. This guy can be a real weapon for Washington this coming season. Washington with a healthy Curtis Samuel has four true burners on offense. Samuel, Terry McLaurin, who at the 2019 NFL scouting combine ran a 4 3 5 Deami Brown, who at the North Carolina Pro Day this past March ran a 44440. And Antonio Gibson, who at the 2020 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 43940. Samuel McLaurin Brown Gibson. There are others who could help out in the explosive passing play department as well. But this to me is the thing to be excited about more than anything with Washington's offense for the coming season. The potential for the explosive play to be a thing far more than the explosive play was a thing for Washington last season. Does Ron Rivera regret taking Chase Young and not Justin Herbert with the number two pick in the 2020 NFL Draft? We'll get to that after this.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, we continue the Washington football team conversation. Washington's regular season opener against the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at one will be about many things. But among them, of course, is the Chargers starting quarterback, Justin Herbert. The Chargers took Herbert with the number six pick in the 2020 NFL draft, in which, of course, Washington took Chase Young with the number two pick. Well, Young won Associated Press Defensive Rookie of the Year for the 2020 season. Herbert won Associated Press Offensive Rookie of the Year for the 2020 season. Justin Herbert was stunningly really good last season. Remember, the talk regarding Washington potentially taking a quarterback and not taking Young with the number two pick in the 2020 draft had to do with Washington potentially taking Tua Tungavailoa, not Herbert. Herbert barely came up, and I wanted no part of Tua due to his injury history. The guy just could not stay healthy at Alabama even though he's really talented. Uh, Tua did not have a very good 2020 rookie season. We'll see what he does this coming season. This is a big year for Tua, but Herbert, he ended up doing so well last season. Justin Herbert in the 2020 regular season finished number 13 at a 33 qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR at 62.6. Although our current QB1, Ryan Fitzpatrick, was better Uh, He was number five in the NFL in total QBR at 70.9. But also for Herbert, he in the 2020 regular season, it was number six in the NFL in passing yards, 4,336. Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Monday on Justin Herbert.
2: Well, you know, when we looked at him, we really liked who he is. He's a football player. He's got a nice, strong arm. He's built for the position. Uh, He's very athletic for a big guy. He's got a tremendous arm. Uh, he sees the field very well. And he's a good decision maker. I mean, you put the tape on from last year, you get an opportunity to watch him make all the throws, literally make all the throws. Um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, you, you draft who you think you need, and that's what we did. Uh, but I really think that uh, this is a good football player. He's a young guy who's going to continue to develop and grow, and he'll be a formidable player for a long time in this league.
1: So, Ron, right there, basically unprompted, explained why Washington took Chase Young and not Justin Herbert with the number two pick in the 2020 draft. The question wasn't about that. But Ron, obviously, because he had that on his mind, decided to address that, quote, you draft who you think you need, and that's what we did, end quote. Here was that part of the cut again.
2: You know, you you draft who you think
1: you need, and that's what we did. Yeah, think about that for a moment. You draft who you think you need, and that's what we did. Washington, at the time of the 2020 draft, had Dwayne Haskins and Kyle Allen as the team's top two quarterbacks, with yes, Alex Smith also on the team, but he was not viewed as a realistic option at the time. Ron, in that 2020 offseason, challenged Dwayne to be a better leader, but as the offseason went on, complimented Dwayne on being. A better leader. Little did we know how comical that would come to be come the regular season, but I've never been one of these people who just assumed that Ron never had any liking for Dwayne Haskins and Ron never believed at all that Dwayne could have been Washington's starting quarterback for years to come. I may be on an island on this, but I've never believed that the only reason that Ron gave Dwayne the shot at being Washington's QB1 to begin last season was that Dan Snyder told Ron to do that. I don't just assume that to be true. I do think it's possible, if not probable, that Ron, like a lot of us, wanted to see more from Dwayne off the encouraging manner in which he ended his rookie season. Remember, Dwayne looked good over his final two games in his 2019 rookie season, and he also had been decent in some of the other games in his 2019 rookie season. Add to that, that Ron had said that he had a high draft grade on Dwayne. And I do think that it's possible that Ron thought that Dwayne just might work out as Washington's QB1. I know that seems laughable now, but that line from Ron on Monday, you draft who you think you need, and that's what we did. I thought that was interesting because the implication there is that Ron, at the time of the 2020 draft, didn't think that Washington needed to draft a quarterback now that does open the door to a whole other conversation of drafting for need versus drafting best player available. To me, you should almost always draft the best player available. But we'll leave that topic alone for now. Ron, at the time of the 2020 draft, wanted to see more from Dwayne and may well not have been a big believer in Justin Herbert. As many people were not big believers in Herbert, and all of those people look quite wrong for now. Uh, Ron on Monday also got asked whether there's anything that stands out about Justin Herbert.
2: I think probably the biggest thing, though, is, you know, when, when, when you get an opportunity and you find that that quarterback, like a kid like him, you know, a young man like him, that's what you want to get and hold on to. You know, I mean, uh, part of it also is always hindsight because you know, now you get a chance to see that he's had success and he's capable of that success. I mean, he was offensive rookie of the year last year for a reason, obviously.
1: Yeah, so Ron, again, addresses Washington taking Chase Young and not Justin Herbert, even though Ron was not asked about Washington taking Chase Young and not Justin Herbert. Ron mentions hindsight. Yes, hindsight, which is 2020. Or if your former Washington head coach Steve Spurrier is
2: 50-50. Yeah, hindsight's always
1: 50-50. Yes, as Steve Spurrier said during his time as Washington head coach, hindsight is 50-50. Uh, Here's what I'm hearing from Ron in these cuts from Monday regarding Justin Herbert. Knowing what we now know, Ron does wish that he took Justin Herbert and not Chase Young with the number two pick in the 2020 draft. Ron would not keep bringing that issue up unprompted if Ron felt just fine about having taken Chase Young and not Justin Herbert with that number two pick in the 2020 draft. And you know what? I don't blame Ron for feeling this way. And let me make this clear. I love Chase Young as a player. I think he was great last season. His individual stats, the traditional ones anyway, don't tell the story of how great he was last season. Some of the advanced stats do. Uh, But Chase Young, more than any other player, was responsible for Washington's remarkable defensive improvement last season. Chase Young In the 2020 season, was for Washington what Nick Bosa was for the San Francisco 49ers in the 2019 season, a rookie edge rusher out of Ohio State who served as a rising tide that lifted all boats. However, Chase Young is an edge rusher, not a quarterback. And there's no position in football, heck, there's no position in sports that matters as much as quarterback. And if you have to choose between a franchise edge rusher, And a franchise quarterback, you take the franchise quarterback every time. Not some of the time, not most of the time, every time. Here's all you need to know Justin Herbert in the 2020 regular season had 31 touchdown passes versus 10 interceptions. Do you know how many times in Washington history that a quarterback has had at least 30 touchdown passes? In a regular season, take a guess as to how many times in the history of this team, now known as the Washington football team, that a quarterback has had at least 30 touchdown passes in a regular season. One. Yeah, that's it. One. One time. Only one time in Washington history has a quarterback had at least 30 touchdown passes in a regular season. And that is pathetic, okay? Let's not sugarcoat that one bit. That is pathetic. Every NFL regular season is filled with quarterbacks who each have at least 30 touchdown passes. Washington only one time ever has had a quarterback with at least 30 touchdown passes in a regular season. The only Washington quarterback to ever have at least 30 touchdown passes in a regular season, Sonny Jurgensen, who had 31 touchdown passes in the 1967 regular season. Herbert in one season, one season, did what only one Washington quarterback has ever done. Heck yeah. Knowing what we now know, Washington should have taken Justin Herbert and not Chase Young with the number two pick in the 2020 draft. And that has everything to do with positional value and really nothing to do with Chase Young, the player. Now, if you don't think that Justin Herbert is a franchise quarterback. If you think that his rookie season was a fluke, if you think that he'll never again play at the level that he was at in his rookie season, then the conversation changes because then you can argue that a franchise edge rusher was the right way to go because a franchise edge rusher is more valuable than a, say, middle-of-the-pack quarterback. So we'll see what Justin Herbert ends up doing this coming season. But if he's legit, if he's a true franchise quarterback, If he's about to be one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL over the next 10 to 15 years, then heck yeah, Washington should have taken Justin Herbert and not Chase Young with the number two pick in the 2020 draft. If Justin Herbert is a true franchise quarterback, then Washington, looking back on things, should have gotten Herbert and not Young at number two in the 2020 draft. And of course, that is hindsight.
2: Yeah, hindsight's always 50-50.
1: Yes, hindsight is 50-50. Thank you, ball coach. All right, so the Nationals five-game series with the New York Mets at Nationals Park on Labor Day weekend 2021 does not go down as an all-time classic. This was far from a clean series. This was far from a crisply played series. This is not a series that will be shown in Tom Amansky videos if we ever get those again, but this was a series in which the Nats routinely battled back. This was a series in which the boys battled, as Davey Martinez likes to say, and the series on Monday afternoon ended with yet another Nats comeback. A 4 3 walk off win for the Nats as the Nats overcame a 3 2 ninth inning deficit, getting to the Mets closer, Edwin Diaz. For a second time in this series, like I said, the boys battled.
2: I'm proud of the boys.
1: Yes, Davey Martinez. Be proud of the boys. It hasn't been often this season that you've been able to be proud of your boys, but you can be proud of what happened on Labor Day Monday afternoon. The Nats now 57 and uh, 80 on the season. But how about the extent to which the Nats came back in games in this series? You had the Nats in a 6 2 10 inning loss on Friday night, overcoming a 2 0 ninth inning deficit. You had the Nats in their 11 9 inning loss on Saturday afternoon in game one of a doubleheader, overcoming a 9 0 fourth inning deficit. You had the Nats in their 13 6 loss on Sunday afternoon, overcoming a 4 0 first inning deficit. And you had the Nats in this 4 3 win on Monday afternoon, overcoming a 3 2 ninth inning deficit. The walk-off hero for the Nats on Monday was Carter Keyboom. Now, Keboom had an up-and-down series, but Keyboom delivered on Monday afternoon. He was a Nats starting third baseman, at number six batter, went two for five with the walk-off single and another single. The walk-off single coming in that two-run Nats ninth, a one-out walk-off single off Edwin Diaz on a ball up the middle That The Mets shortstop, Francisco Lindor, was unable to field cleanly. Like I said, this was a sloppy, wackadoo series, and uh, the Mets defense was a big part of all that. Uh, That hit capped a game in which the Nats went 3-for-16 with runners in scoring position. The Nats were putrid for so much of that game on Monday with runners in scoring position, but came through in the later innings no moment bigger than Carter Keeboom's walk-off single. Uh, Also for Keeboom on Monday, he in the bottom of the fifth had a one-out single, on a one-two pitch, but Keeboom, like a lot of Nats, struggled with runners in scoring position prior to those later innings. Keeboom failed in a big spot in the bottom of the first, struck out on three pitches with runners on second and third and two outs, but Keeboom delivered in the clutch in the bottom of the ninth on Monday afternoon. Another hero for the Nats on Monday afternoon, and in the series, Andrew Stevenson, and this really is an all-timer to me, Andrew Stevenson in this series ends up greatly impacting three games off the bench. There were five games in this series. Stevenson in the two games that he started basically did nothing. Stevenson in the three games in which he came off the bench was the hero in the later innings in each of those games. Stevenson in this 4-3 Nats win on Monday afternoon coming up big in the two-run ninth, a pinch game-tying one-out RBI single off Edwin Diaz on an 0-2 pitch and that marked the third time in the five-game series that Stevenson came up big late in a game. Stevenson scored a dramatic run in the 6-2 inning loss to the Mets at Nationals Park on Friday night. Stevenson on the Riley Adams game time went out opposite field RBI double to the right center field gap. Off Edwin Diaz on an 0-2 pitch in another Nats two-run ninth scored from first. As Stevenson, who was serving as a pinch hitter, collided with the Mets catcher. The former Oriole Chance Cisco, flipped over head first and then scampered back to slap home plate for the run. Also, Stevenson was outstanding off the bench in that 11-9, nine-inning loss to the Mets at Nationals Park on Saturday afternoon. In game one of the doubleheader, Stevenson entered the game in the top of the fourth. He, in an at three-run fourth, drew a bases-loaded five-pitch walk. He in a Nat's four run six had a one out single. And Stevenson in a Nat's two run seventh, a game tying two out, two run homer to right field off Mets reliever Seth Lugo to tie the game at nine and complete the Nats comeback from a nine nothing fourth inning deficit. Alcides Escobar was the Nats hero on Monday afternoon. And really in this series, Alcides on Monday afternoon one for four with a triple and a big walk. Uh the triple. Coming in and Nat's one run first, a one-out full count opposite field triple to right field, despite Escobar having been down to the count of 1.12. Escobar was helped out by the Mets right fielder, Michael Conforto, who did not have a good defensive game, Uh, but Escobar still getting credit for a triple. Uh, Also, Escobar in that Nats two-run ninth beginning things, he drew a leadoff four-pitch walk. Of Edwin Diaz, Osiris Escobar was an ad starting shortstop and number two batter in every game in this series, and the guy continues to put balls in play, continues to get on base. It really is stunning the extent to which Escobar has been productive, of having not played in a major league regular season game since 2018, prior to being acquired by the Nats. Who never forget gave up nothing more than cash considerations to the Kansas City Royals to get Escobar back in July. Escobar in the series, your Nats starting shortstop and number two batter in every game. He went five for 20 with a homer, a triple, a double, two singles, And two walks. Uh, Josh Bell drew a big walk in that Nats two-run ninth off Edwin Diaz on Monday afternoon. Bell drawing a one-out seven-pitch walk off Diaz. Bell in the game going one for three with a double and two walks. Bottom of the first, a two-out five-pitch walk. Bottom of the third, a full-count double despite having been down to the count at 1.02. Bell hitting a baseball that deflected off the Mets' first baseman, Pete Alonso. But Josh Bell in the series, four for 16, a homer, a double, two singles and five walks. Well, guess who else qualifies as a Nats hero, at least to some extent, in this 4-3 walk-off win over the Mets at Nationals Park on Labor Day afternoon? Patrick Corbin, who has been awful this season, but he was not awful on Monday afternoon. Now he could have been awful, but he ended up not being awful. So that's a positive for Patrick Corbin this season for sure. Three runs in seven innings. That's good. That's nice. Uh, Where the heck has that been for so much Of this season. Now, there are a whole lot of qualifiers that you have to put on that final line of three runs in seven innings. Corbin gave up 11 hits. Okay. He put a lot of men on base 11 hits, a homer, a double, and nine singles. He also only had four strikeouts, but he also only issued one walk and he did throw strikes 73 strikes versus 41 balls on 114 pitches. And that was another thing Corbin battled. And I do give Patrick Corbin credit for this. Davey Martinez left Corbin in the game for a while because the Nats bullpen is taxed. The Nats bullpen is gassed. And the Nats bullpen has not been very good here lately. Certainly has not been very reliable. You know, some guys have been okay sometimes, but every game it feels like at least one or two guys don't have it. And those one or two guys end up giving up a bunch of runs. So Davey stuck with Corbin for a while in this game. Again, 114 pitches and Corbin ended up delivering. It wasn't easy But Corbin came through top of the seventh. Corbin tosses a scoreless seventh despite giving up a single uh, and a walk. So I give Corbin credit. He was pushed in this game. He ended up persevering. And while he gave up a lot of hits, way too many hits, and he still only had four strikeouts and the peripherals are still bothersome, and he has by no means been fixed, he was better. In this game, and that's a good thing. Any sign of growth for Patrick Corbin at this point, you take and run with. Uh, Corbin also had a hit in the game; he had a single in the Nationals, one run fourth inning. Corbin now with an ERA of 614 on the season over 27 starts. He does continue to have the worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors. And he did give up another homer in this game. Corbin allowed a run in the top of the six on a leadoff homer by Pete Alonso. So Corbin now is allowed 34 home runs this season, extending his record for most home runs allowed by a Nats pitcher in a regular season. But Corbin going seven innings made it so that Davey only had to use one reliever in this game on Monday. Do you know how infrequently that has happened this season? Davey only having to use one reliever in a game? It feels like every game Davey is going to the bullpen three, four, five, even six times. Davey only went to the pen once in this game. Kyle Finnegan came up big. Your Nats closer tossing two scoreless innings with two strikeouts. Really nice job by Finnegan to eat up two innings. Like that. Uh, A few other observations from this 4 3 walk off win for the Nats over the Mets at Nationals Park on Monday afternoon to conclude a marathon five game series. Uh, Lane Thomas got on base two more times. All this guy is doing is producing at the plate. Thomas going two for five with an RBI single and another single, although he did commit an error. uh, But Lane Thomas, bottom of the second, a two out first pitch single. Lane Thomas in the Nats' one-run fourth, an RBI single. Now, Thomas did commit a fielding error that advanced Jeff McNeil to second on McNeil's leadoff single in the top of the second inning. But Lane Thomas was the Nats' starting center fielder and number one batter in every game in this series. Listen to what the Lane Train did over these five games. Eight for 21 with two home runs and six singles. Really nice production from Lane Thomas. That continues to be the case. Luis Garcia ended up having a good series with a bunch of extra base hits, including a triple on Monday afternoon. Luis Garcia, two for four with a triple and a single. He and the Nats one run fourth had a leadoff single. He in the bottom of the eighth had a two out triple to the right center field gap where Mets right fielder Michael Conforto fell down in trying to make the pick. I told you Goodford did not have a good defensive game on Monday. But, you know, Garcia has not been a very good hitter so far at the Major League level. Maybe some signs of growth, possibly. You know, we'll see. Time will tell. But uh, Luis was the Nats starting second baseman, a number eight batter in every game in the series. Ended up going seven for 19 with a triple, four doubles, and two singles. He had five extra base hits over the five games. Alex Avila was the Nats' starting catcher on Monday afternoon. Remember him? Uh, Alex Avila, who had not played in forever, was your Nats' starting catcher at number seven batter. And for having not played in forever, he actually looked all right. Two for four with a double and a single. He, in the bottom of the second, had a leadoff first pitch double. And Avila, in the bottom of the fifth, had a one-out single. Now, the Nats uh, did reinstate Avila from the 10-day injured list uh, last Wednesday, September 1st, but he didn't play until Monday. Uh, Avila had been on the 10-day I.L. since July 3rd, retroactive to July 2nd with bilateral calf strains, which he suffered in, remember, serving as the Nats' starting second baseman in a 6-2-5 inning loss to the Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park on July 1st, and yet another indictment of the Nats' lack of positional depth this season. Alex Avila had to start a game at second base this season, against the mighty Dodgers. We barely saw any of Kbert Ruiz in this series. He ended up starting just one of the five games. Davey Martinez at his pregame press conference on Monday morning did reveal that Ruiz has a bone bruise in a knee, uh, fouling a pitch off the knee on Saturday. Uh, Ruiz was the Nats' starting catcher, number six batter in that 11 9 nine-inning loss to the Mets at Nationals Park on Saturday afternoon. Ruiz went one for five with a single in that game. Next up for the Nats, a three-game series at. The National League East-leading Atlanta Braves game one Tuesday night seven twenty. Paolo Espino will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two Wednesday night seven twenty. Sean Nolan will be the Nats starting pitcher, and game three Thursday night at seven twenty. Eric Fetty will be the Nats starting pitcher. So how about this? The Orioles now have played in five consecutive one-run games. Yes, each of the Orioles last five games has been a one-run game. The latest, a 3-2 loss to the Kansas City Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Monday afternoon in game one of a four-game series. O's now a major league worst 43 and 93, but can we maybe possibly say that the O's are close? It means you're close. Yes, Brucey. the O's are close. They're playing a bunch of one-run games these days, as opposed to getting obliterated these days. Uh, No, the O's are not close, but uh, these recent games have been close. Uh, O's have gone two and three in this stretch of five consecutive one-run games. Good games on Labor Day for the Orioles' three most prominent building blocks at the major league level, talking about Cedric Mullins, Ryan Mountcastle, and Austin Hayes. Uh, Cedric Mullins as the Orioles starting DH and number one batter on Monday afternoon. Lead-off double in the bottom of the first and a two-out solo homer to right field in the bottom of the fifth. Uh, Mountcastle as the Orioles starting first baseman and number two batter on Monday afternoon had a single and a walk. And Hayes as the Orioles starting left fielder and number three batter on Monday afternoon, a two-out RBI single in the bottom of the third to extend his career-best hitting streak to 13 games. I've said this with Austin Hayes. He is outstanding defensively as a corner outfielder. All you need is for the offense to be passable, and he's getting the offense to that level. He's been hitting better here lately. Again, career-best 13-game hitting streak, two-out ribby single in the bottom of the third on Monday afternoon. Also for the O's in this 3-2 loss to the Royals at Camden Yards on Labor Day afternoon. Uh, Lefty Zach Lowther did well in his return to the majors. So if you're an Orioles fan, it's easy to lose track of all of the pitchers, even just the starting pitchers utilized by the Orioles this season. Uh, The O's on Monday afternoon recalled Zach Lowther from AAA Norfolk. Uh, Lowther had pitched for the O's previously this season. He's actually a fairly well-regarded prospect within the Orioles organization. Like he's not some top 100 prospect in baseball Or anything like that, but he's like among the top, say, 25 prospects in the Orioles organization. The O's took Lowther in the second round of the 2017 MLB draft at Xavier, and Lowther did well on Monday afternoon, one run in six innings. He allowed just three hits, a homer, a double, and a single, issued two walks and a hit by pitch, did have just two strikeouts. He threw 56 strikes versus 36 balls on 92 pitches. It was funny the homer that Lowther gave up a leadoff homer to former Oriole Hanser Alberto in the top of the fifth. The homer was a bomb uh, to left center field when it projected 426 feet per stat cast. But other than that, Zach Lowther looked good. So, you know, we've seen this many times from Orioles pitchers this season. One game, a guy looks good, especially like in his initial voyage at the major league level or back to the major league level. It's what the guy does the next outing and the outing after that and the outing after that uh, that truly tell you where the guy is at. But good job by Zach Lowther on Monday afternoon. Also, in this game, by the way, some bad news regarding reliever Jorge Lopez. Hopefully, this is not news that gets appreciably worse. But Lopez, who's done a pretty good job as a reliever of having really had problems as a starter this season, uh, he left the game on Monday afternoon with right ankle pain. Uh, The O's were awaiting further diagnostic testing. Game two for the O's against the Royals Tuesday night at 7.05. Lefty Alexander Wells will start for the O's as, yes, the carousel of Oriole starting pitchers this season continues. all right that will do it for you and me but just for now keep the feedback coming you can tweet me at Al Galdi. you can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com Wednesday show episode 140 will feature not one but two special guests I'll chat with Chargers Insider Jeff Miller of the Los Angeles Times as we will get an in-depth scouting report on the Washington football team's week one opponent the Los Angeles Chargers as we enter into the teeth of of the practice week beginning on Wednesday, and uh, welcome on noted area doctor Matthew Mintz to discuss the upcoming NFL regular season when it comes to COVID-19. And don't worry, this is not going to be some segment in which there is lecturing and or preaching. Uh, rather, this is going to be a football conversation, a conversation about competitive balance and competitive advantages and disadvantages this coming NFL season, given where we are with the COVID 19 pandemic. One of the things that I want to ask Dr. Mintz about is Is it time that we start allowing players vaccinated for COVID 19 to be able to still practice and play? Uh, Dr. Mintz, by the way, is a big Washington football team fan. I've done ads for Dr. Mintz on the podcast. His appearance is not some version of an ad. Uh, he has some good thoughts about the NFL and COVID 19, so he's coming on as a guest. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday.